human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, you'll hear a conversation recorded live on Instagram with author, speaker, and digital well-being expert Christina Crook. We chatted on the launch day of her new book, Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age. I got a chance to read an advanced copy, and it's amazing, by the way. I found myself highlighting every page. Christina is also the author of The Joy of Missing Out and host of the Jomo Cast podcast. All of her work focuses on how to find balance and joy in an overwhelming world. Good Burdens champions the idea that leaning away from our culture's obsession with speed and convenience and toward effortful intentionality pays massive spiritual dividends. We talk about the paradox of choice, the long-term value of making commitments, and the daily practices that lead to more fulfilling relationships, especially with oneself. Please enjoy episode 35, The Good Burdens for Better Connections, with Christina Crook, live. If you are just joining us, I'm Lissa Mandel. I am here with author, speaker, uh, and total inspiration, Christina Crook. She is the author of Jomo, The Joy of Missing Out. She's, she has uh, her podcast, The Jomo Cast. And today is the launch of her new book called Good Burdens. We're going to talk a little bit about the book. We're going to talk about empathy at work. Uh, What's Betwixt Us is a podcast uh, produced by Zany, which is an app for Slack designed to enhance empathy, trust, and psychological safety in remote, hybrid, and digital workplaces. And uh, Christina, we're a big fan of Christina at Zany. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. As I was telling you before we popped on Instagram, uh, I got to read uh, an advanced copy of this book, which I'm very honored by. I feel like I'm not that special, but now I feel really special. You're special. You're special too. This book is already completely rearranging the context of everything in my brain. I absolutely love it. Good Burdens is a book about understanding how making commitments to the things that we value actually bring us more joy and reward, even if they are the complete opposite things that society is trying to make us do. And I would love for you to sum up your book in a better way than I just did because you've been living it. So, so how would you describe good burdens to the people who are finding it for the first time? Thank you so much. And I think your description of it is fabulous. I'm going to go back and listen to this and jot that down because every time I hear someone else describe the book, it, it sort of sheds new light for me on, on the actual material in the book. But the, the Good Burdens explores this question, which is what happens when the internet begins to lift burdens we should not want to be rid of, right? The internet's all about like we're driving and Waze is telling us like, oh, surprise, like I have a solution for this thing you didn't even know you had a problem for, which was like, you're going to have coffee now. It's always putting right convenience and control and comfort in our way. But the truth is the things that bring us most joy are actually usually quite burdensome. There are things that require our attention and effort, like investing deeply in friendship or relationships with our partner, our family, sinking ourselves into the deep work that we're called to do, creative work, your professional work, whatever it might be, investing in community building, whatever it is that you set your hands to. And so the idea of good burdens is that there are certain tasks that once you get across a certain threshold of effort, the burden of it disappears and it becomes a joy. Yes, yes. And that was just what absolutely blew my mind because And I think I'm going to share a little bit personally right now, which is that uh, I feel like for the first maybe 25, 30 years of my life, I was committing to things uh, for the wrong reasons. I was committing to things out of a sense of fear that if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't be accepted or loved, fear that I would fail. And so what what ended up happening was that the pendulum for me swung all the way in the direction of okay, I'm a, I equate freedom with no commitments whatsoever. I became allergic to commitments. I, I went, I even moved to California 
and had a life filled with just silence and unstructured time, which is something that you talk about that I absolutely love and the value of that. And I did it to fill my cup, but then came to realize after about a year and a half of doing that, that my what had once filled my cup was now emptying it. And I was like, I don't understand. I thought that I hacked the system. I'm looking for freedom, right? And any kind of commitment is the opposite of freedom. But that ended up totally undermining my joy, totally undermining my commitments to things that I did value because I, I felt like every commitment or obligation was like, wait, that's too hard. Aren't we supposed to be doing everything with ease? Isn't ease the way to freedom? But the way you contextualize it in this book is like, no, actually that sense of freedom comes from, is, the, is one of the rewards of committing to fewer things, but more valuable things. Absolutely. I have a, I have a sim, I really appreciate you being candid about that. I have a similar story of wanting to decommit <laughs> from all of the things. And I think it was, you know, for many of us, it can come out of a season of being overcommitted and needing to pare away. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that, in, in needing, a, you know, letting the fields, you know, lay fallow for, you know, to use that metaphor of, of stopping and resting and, and restoring. But for me, the shift changed changed similar to your story where I realized I need more. I need to be investing myself more deeply in a couple of really important things. And I, and I came to that by way of a book in part through a book called the road less traveled by Scott Peck, where he writes that laziness is the opposite of love. And this quote just totally (laughs) blew my mind. And, And I thought I was thinking of it particularly in the context of being a parent that being lazy, not showing up to invest or be at least be interested in the things for that my kids are interested in is a kind of laziness. I'm not loving them well by not being attentive to those things. And obviously that can translate into all of the relationships, you know, in our lives. It doesn't have to be parent kid specific, but there is no joy in an, in an uncommitted life. And so when we talk about technology, I mean, te- what are technology's big promises, right? Technology's big promises, I alluded to them before, are we're gonna give you more comfort, we're gonna give you more control, we're gonna give you more convenience. The problem is, is that that is at odds with the way that humans actually work. We don't find meaning and joy in endless comfort, in endless convenience, in in complete and utter control because without with complete and utter control there's no life you can't you're, you start to squelch things and so so yeah so anyways I appreciate you sharing that part of your story yeah I mean this thing about control that and by the way if I had had more time I would have highlighted probably every single line in this book but <laughs> yes what what you say here if I can quote you technology reinforces our impulse to control And we constantly put ourselves in the way of the three sirens of consumerism. You say comfort, control, and convenience, the drivers of big tech, big corporations, big everything. And frankly, when you control everything, you take the spontaneity out of life, right? You take the freshness and the intuition out of life, right? And and the difficulty, the work that goes into discovering and curiosity, which is also a big thing that you highlight that I love and I feel like we, we keep being handed more and more and more tech and things that are designed to, to just strip away that, like the difficulty in going from point A to point B and in the going from point A to point B, that's where we learn. That's grist for the mill, right? Well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there in the sense of the things that we invest ourselves into. I, I think, I think just to your point about I, I think you used a different word, but what I heard, oh, you said serendipity. Did you say serendipity? What did you, spontaneity. You said spontaneity. And I got thinking of serendipity because I remember being at a major tech conference here in Toronto, you know, sort of the size of web, our sort of web summit version here in Toronto. And I remember being pitched by someone on an app called serendipity. Okay. Here he was going to solve our problem of serendipity. You're, he, and this is the description he gave me. You're at an airport and you have got some time to kill and you want a moment of serendipity. And so here's what you do. You go on the app 
the serendipity app to see if there's someone else looking for a moment of serendipity and then you go find each other. I'm like, no, that is not serendipity. <laughs> serendipity is when you put your phone down and you actually look around and then like maybe see if someone might want to have a conversation, like being open to those moments, right, of spontaneity and, and serendipity. And there is, I think there is a sameness in the internet that we are getting exhausted by and we don't have words for. It's like this dullness, like, okay, more of the same, more of the same, even the structure of it right now, you and I are in squares. What are we looking at all day long? We're looking at squares and rectangles, right? The organic natural world is actually more, more round. These are not even organic shapes. And so um, I think it's extremely important that we lean into more weirdness and wildness and wonder. Those were my three goals from this season of my podcast. Those were the three words I wrote down. Nothing beyond that, just weirder and wilder and wonder because there's something in me and I think in a lot of us, thank you, that are hungering for those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I just can't help but think, and I wonder if this image came to you a lot of the movie WALL-E. Have you seen it? Yes. So when that came out, and I remember I saw it in the theater, you know, you see the future basically. And the future is humans that are like <laughs> boneless amoebas who have everything served to them. They have no muscles left. You know, they just, they consume and it's all convenience. But like, that is what happens when you go all the way to that end of, of a lack of good burdens, right? A lack of resistance. And I just love how you talk about this, about resistance and things that are effortful being the things that make us most alive. And at what point was it that, um, I have so many thoughts in my head right now and they're exploding. At what point was it that we went from thinking that those, that the good burdens were good and worth it to thinking that the easier thing was the better thing? Mm-hmm. When that message became the preeminent message, right, of the time, I mean, we hear it when are we not hearing it? When are we not hearing that easier is better, right? At every turn, we're hearing, you know, less friction, less friction, the sales process. If someone is on a website for longer than like literally one second, if you're not, if it's not loading, if it's not doing, if it's not catching their attention, right? That friction is a problem. And we're told that at every turn. And so, you know, I I would argue that it was, you know, within the last, let's say, 30 years, I would say, looking back into the 80s and 90s, but even earlier than that, really, this overwhelming, you know, push towards, you know, the mass media consumer culture that came by way of, well, radio a little bit, but then, of course, like in mass on television, and then, of course, in the in the age of the internet. And so it requires a huge amount of resistance. It requires a huge amount of attention and even an act kind of activism to push back on these forces and say, look, wait a minute, this doesn't feel so good. And, and being attentive to that and then starting to notice what does feel good, right? What is enlivening? What does bring joy? And then setting our attention to those things. And you ask people, it's a very simple thing. The good burdens is a big concept, but here's a very simple idea. What brings you joy? I'm actually asking you, you tell me one thing you bring, that brings you joy. Coffee. Beautiful. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good example because it is okay. So but he, I'm, the reason I'm asking is you ask people what brings the most joy and here's the, here's the answer. They're not on the internet. It, they're never on the internet. The internet might help them connect to that thing. It, you might order your coffee through the internet and it shows up at your door and then you brew it and enjoy it, but you're still enjoying it right in the real world. And so the simplest idea I think that will help us live well in the digital age is, and it seems very simplistic, but it is incredibly powerful to pay, be attentive to the things that are enlivening and bring joy and to bring more of those things into our lives. And, and that gets us on a path of a more resistance, a more frictionful way of living. Yeah. And I, I love how, you know, in this book, you have a list of at least, although there are so many more, 100 joys. And I think it's such a great practice to, to just pause and write those down on a piece of paper with a pen or pencil. And I, it, it, it brought back this memory from when I was in, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, when I would always have notebooks that like yellow lined steno notebooks on me. And I made a list like that. 
I remember making a list like that. And it was all things that were like sensory things, right? And something mm. about something about your book that I love is that there is so much of the sensory world in it. There's so much description of smells and feelings and sounds and things that we can only experience like within our human bodies. And so often uh, the technology that we use is built to separate us from our bodies, right? Because if we, if we learn, if we remember that, that our joy is like within our bodies, then that makes us more immune to the, to the things they're trying to sell us and to the technology itself. So I, I just, I, I love that. And I wonder if you could talk about maybe how old you were when you realized when have you always been such a sensory person or did Mm. this kind of bubble up more recently in your life through your work I mean I was always drawn to movement Uh, I was an athlete through you know my school years and even through into university and that was something that laid dormant for about 10 years in early parenthood. And I brought back a number of years ago. And that was an incredibly important piece of me that I returned to. So I will say that movement has always been and being physically active in my body. And I and I just had a natural inclination to it. But when I reflect back on my teen years specifically, I think it saved me. Like I think the outlet of sports and that physicality and that pushing myself and the burden of that was such a good burden for me. It gave me such a healthy outlet to be ambitious and even aggressive and to be a team player and to, you know, push my limits. You know, I I write about rowing often because rowing is a kind of psychological and physical, like, you know, doing it at the maximum capacity because you have to, it's like balance and mental and physical. And then I will say, you know, I have very distinct memories. I I was always, I was often, I was drawn to writing early on and I will say poetry is my first love. And so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, other, just like you had your yellow, you know, notebooks. I have many, many, many journals uh, filled with all kinds of you know, lesser and better quality of poems. But I was always drawn to kind of, and that was also an important outlet for me, you know, through parents splitting up and different things, having that outlet to um, make sense of my world and yeah, capture. I feel like there's some kind of capturing that happens in the writing where it's like, no one can ever take that moment from me. So I write about, in the book, I write about puffing my first cigar on a hill on Bowen Island and then swimming with the phosphorescence, you know, that evening or, well, anyways, that's the first one that comes to mind. And those, and I think we all have those moments, right? It's, it's, it's pausing long enough to think, like, what's my cigar puffing moment? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but for real, it's because, you know, the, even, even things that are physically uncomfortable, it's better to feel something, right, than to feel a, a void, to feel a lack. I was, and so I'm in this program, this somatic movement therapy program right now, mm. and we're just talking about, you know, how humans put a spin on certain feelings being either good or bad, but no feelings are 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 negative. They are, they might be more uncomfortable to sit with, but they are all bringing us back to our aliveness. And that actually, you know, the lack of feeling at all, the lack of experiencing life at all is, is the quote unquote bad feeling. And so I I completely hear you with the rowing. I also bow down to you because one of my, one of my weak spots is definitely making myself be physically engaged, even though I know that whenever I do it, I feel better after, which actually brings me to another point in the book that I wanted you to um, talk about a little bit, which is this idea of getting yourself to to commit to things because you know that they will have long-term benefits for you, even if they're not immediately gratifying. And I do think this is something I'm learning more as I get older, but I, I wonder if you could if you could speak to that and what makes that a brave and rebellious thing in the age we live in now. Yeah, to commit to something that doesn't have an instantaneous return does seem like a radical act, doesn't it? I think why it's so radical and so important is because 
I remember early on in the writing process of this book, I was working with a phenomenal therapist and she got me to a point of realizing that it would hurt more if I didn't try. And I think it's in the trying, right? If we don't put our hand to the thing, we will never know. And you hear these stories, you know, over and over again about people, right, in old age, right? They're, you know, staring death in the face and what do they regret? They regret the things they did not do. They they regret the big chances they didn't take. And so you think about the big relationship, the big, you know, the big project, the big creative dream you have. If you don't try for that thing, that is the regret that you carry with you. And so I think it is, but you, there's never any guarantees. There's never, there's never a guarantee. I'm launching a book right now. There's no guarantee. I mean, well, there, there's a, people are reading the book and that is like my greatest, that is it. Like that, that for me is the success. The success is the right readers getting a hold of that book and it meaning something to them. Right. But in terms of like a number, like we never know, right. What the impact is going to be. And, and actually there's a freedom. And an, I think it's incredibly important as creative people. And I think maybe a lot of your, you know, the people that are part of zany, maybe work in, in creative professions, it's not our responsibility to know what the result is going to be. Our, our, our responsibility is to the work, right? It's not to the result. And so and that's, and I'm, and I am specifically talking to creative fields because obviously many of us are responsible for certain outcomes in our work. But I think, yeah, I think that's why the trying is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like I, I chose in this lifetime, I guess, to learn the hard way that, you know, I, because as a creative, as a writer and an actor, when like, I don't necessarily get, you know, I don't necessarily get the confirmation or the affirmation from outside. And it happens so many times that it, it wears you down, right? Like it, it just like sands your spirit down so that you actually have to, or I have to recalibrate and build myself up back better the same way that the world is building itself back better creating for the right reasons creating just because of the the goodness that comes from having created even though the act itself is is tough to stick with it if you don't know if there's anything on the other side of it and uh i i want to i want to segue into commitment with regard to relationships you talk a lot about warm relationships. And you have this quote in here that I love that I want to emblazon on my body, which is relationships aren't easy. They're effortful. And I think that that is, first of all, like at the heart of what we do at Zany, which is about, you know, sparking conversations, even conversations that might be uncomfortable, might be uncomfortable for people to share about themselves or uncomfortable for people to think about the topics we bring up, uncomfortable to be naked in front of their colleagues in a way. And I wonder if you could talk about why it's so important to mm -hmm. put in the effort of relationships, especially digitally, especially when we are separated by time and space. It's a great question. So you asked people, we talked about joy before, you asked people what brings the most joy. They will talk about the cup of coffee or experiences in nature, you know, but very often what will rise to the surface are people, Right. What brings you most joy? Oh my! It could be a relationship with your pet. It could be a relationship with your spouse or your best friend, a colleague, whatever it might be. And the Grant study is what I refer to in the book. And I think a lot of people are familiar with this study. If you're not, basically, uh, it's the longest longitudinal study of human development in history. And what they discovered is the key to human flourishing is something they call warm relationships. And essentially, that's like nourishing and nurturing a couple of core relationships throughout your lifetime. And so those might be with colleagues, those might be with a partner or a family member friendship. And why it's so incredibly important is because it is the key to our well-being and actually also to our professional success is what they found in this study. There are wild statistics and you can look it up about in terms of like earning power based out of having these sustaining warm relationships. And so that's why they're so incredibly important. And of course, in the age of the internet, I mean, I'm looking at you, but I'm kind of looking at myself, like how much more would we be getting if we were in the room together, right? Me reading your body language, you're an actor. Like I know that I would be reading all of this wonderful body language. You know, you might be glancing over at something and I might notice that you know 
notice it and that might spark another conversation. I might learn something new about you. All of these things we ha- that we would naturally encounter right in a physical space with one another, we have to work for, which is why the work of Zany is just so essential in terms of building those warm relationships within the workplace. And so, yeah, so, so the reason why putting effort into relationships, especially you know, in this day and age is so important is because it is literally the lifeline for your personal and professional well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. My mentor and boss and the CEO and founder of Zany, Jumana, um, talks a lot about context. It's a word that I never used to use before I worked at Zany, but now I use all the time because I think that we have to put more of an effort into understanding the contexts of the people we're speaking to if we're not in the same room with them. Because if we're in the same room with them, we're sharing the context, like the, the, the room tone, you know, the air quality, you know, the smells. And if, without that, we have to put more effort into understanding the context of the people that we're, that we're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately, I don't know, I'm optimistic. I hope will make us stronger at being mindful and aware because it requires intention and attention, but it won't happen as effortlessly as if we were in person. I am noticing one positive, like very positive thing, you know, having our lives be largely on the internet. And I'm curious if this is true for you too, is that the experiences in real life now are so heightened they're so good. Like we host, and I write about it in the book, we host an annual pumpkin carving party, okay, for our neighborhood. And it's a crazy time, but we did it anyway. It's not last weekend, but the weekend before. And I tell you, like everyone came because people were just like, yes, please. Like something in person with human beings. And I like, it's free. Like, yes, I'm showing up for that thing. And there, like, there were people there that were like on the verge of tears. That it was so meaningful for them to have gathered for an hour an hour and a half in a very rudimentary way. Like, it's just like, there's the garbage can, like go schlep your stuff in there. Like, this is not a fancy curated event. This is a very like grassroots. And it's just, it feels so good. And I'm so excited about that happening. Yes, me too. And I, gosh, I had such a packed weekend of that, of in-person like connection on on Thursday, I was in a comedy show, like a live comedy show. And then on Saturday, I went to this event that I'm going to tell you about. And then yesterday, I was at this wedding. And ultimately, I, I'm in this afterglow now. Because even if we don't understand it cerebrally, like our bodies are like, thank you for the nutrients of connection. I needed those, you know, the pheromones and dopamine and the everything that comes from being with people in person. And yeah, I wanted to tell you about this event that I went to on Saturday because I've been going every month since it's been, you know, since we've been vaccinated and it happened before the pandemic as well. But some friends of mine, they live in Brooklyn uh, in a two-story apartment with a big backyard and they host this event called Same Same But Different. And basically they're creatives, you know, they're in a band and they, you show up and you, you, you sign in, you put your cell phone in a drawer and you take your shoes off and there's throughout the night, there's live music, there are storytellers, there's just like wonderful conversation. There's a, there's a little fire pit in the backyard and it's become like my church. It feels so good to return to that. And, um, and I, and I sort of think that COVID is going to help propel us toward more things like that. I agree. I need to know why is it called same, same, different, same, same, but different. Oh, because you know, there are some elements of it that are the same each month, right? There's no, there's no Mm. phone. There's going to be a little concession stand with like homemade cocktails and, and there's going to be live music, but the the music is always different. The people you meet are always different. The conversations you have are always different, but it just feels so good. And it attracts the kind of people who are also hungry for that kind of connection, you know? That's amazing. I love yeah. that you told me about that event. That sounds like you gotta come to everybody. Brooklyn. Yeah, I will be coming. I'll come. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this thing that resonated so much with me and really put to words something that I have spent the last year grieving, which is if it's okay for me to read, please. 
book here. You talk a lot about the fear of missing out or FOMO, which I'm a Sagittarius and I have a major FOMO. I always want to do all of the things. And you say the danger of forces like FOMO is not only in the pressure to try to do, be, and experience everything. It's the lie we're told that it's possible to. Every moment of your existence is spent doing one thing to the exclusion of a literal infinity of other things, no matter what you choose. Yes, it, this blew my mind. So it, it makes me feel like in this digital age, we have to contend with a whole new category of grief that we didn't have to contend with before because now we can see the variety of things that are out there to experience. Before, we, you know, it was out of sight, out of mind. If you can't see it, then you're not missing out on it. But what would you say, like, what, what advice would you give to people who are, who are under the weight of that kind of grief or panic of, oh no, there are so many choices out there that I have to say no to. Mm -hmm. what, what is the salve, the bomb on that? So, I mean, this is the paradox of choice that we're talking about. We think that we're going to, it would be pleasurable to have an infinity of choices, but in fact, it is actually like a kind of like terror and, and insanity to have endless choice. And so I remember even when I was like choosing, you know, a potential life partner, I saw my cousins living in these tiny towns and I was like, that seems way easier. Like Sam, Fred, or Ted, like... <laughs> Just choose one. Like, this is straightforward. And so I think I, what I would say to someone who is really struggling with FOMO, really struggling with this, with this paradox of choice, is that there is freedom in choosing. There is such freedom to be found in choosing and feel it. And, and just even if you don't know if it's like a million percent the right choice, you chose it. So it is the right choice and moving forward in that confidence. What we're told at every turn and particularly right through all of the ads that we're seeing through social media is faster, better, right? It's just, it's endless. And, you know, I, I, I often hate that I'm a voice in that space. I feel compelled to be in that space because if I'm not trying to get the attention of people that are struggling in that space, I'm not really doing my job. And I did wash my hands of that space for a really long time. This space that we're, phys we're, we're physically, that we are, that we are, you know, engaging in right now. But, you know, and so you're like flipping through and it's like one more person who has like your solution, your solution, like just choose a thing and then move forward with it. And, and I, and I just suggest that you do that with one thing. So whether it's one friendship or it's following one account, like, or it's choosing one job or it's taking on one hobby, like just go with that thing for a while and, and see how that feels. There's some, there's a power in traction. There's a power in forward motion. I think the reason why we feel so bad, especially on social media and not engaging, like not actively engaging, but just scrolling on social media passively is that we know we were meant for more. There's just this like baseline deep dissatisfaction because we know that we know that we know that we were made for more. Mm, yes, yes. I, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's like this, this, this paradox of, but I have all these things, the, the convenience is at my fingertips. Why do I still have this like gnawing sense of emptiness or irritability or something? And I think it's because we think that there is freedom in not choosing. There's freedom in staying open to whatever comes, you know, especially with all of the language now on social media about, you know, manifesting, manifesting the right things. And there was some, there was a quote in here and I don't remember who you quoted. Oh, it was Wendell Berry. It was Wendell, the poet Wendell Berry talking about like settling for less, but that being, but being mm -hmm. happy with that. It was around the, the gratitude topic. Yeah. No, no, I know exactly. And I almost want to go and grab it. And yeah. Wendell Berry, importantly, deeply rooted in a physical space, also a farmer, right? To be attentive to those things. Yeah, he's writing about, yeah, less essentially, be, being content with less, loving it more is kind of how I would summarize it. And you give yourself that opportunity. Oh, here it is. Slow down, pay attention, do good work. Love your neighbor love your place, stay in your place, settle for less, enjoy it more. Ah, oh, 
yes, there's something that feels very rebellious about that here. Cause it's like, oh, don't settle for less. There's better out there. There's better, there's better, there's better, which actually ends up terrorizing me a lot of the time. I'm like, isn't it okay that I'm enjoying this right now? It doesn't, every experience doesn't have to be a peak experience. And I have a really hard time with that. Yeah. I have a very close friend in Vancouver who's um, got a mug that says world's most okayest mom. <laughs> like, let's just be content with mediocrity. <laughs> like, it's just, it's that, it's a, but it, again, it's that paradox, right? Of giving yourself fully. Like my, my great goal with the book was to write the best book that I could write. If I had, if, if I had done that in a mediocre way, I think there would have been a disappointment in it, but there's, there's a, there's a sense of like, we need to have a confidence that uh, is okay to not be good at all the things. It's just, it's a hundred percent unrealistic. And just going back to you know, the quote that you read from FOMO, the great, that was a great discovery for me. It's not just that the lies are that you can do more, that you need to do more and be more and have more, but it's the lie that it's possible. It's a lie. It is a hundred percent a lie that it is possible. Right. And and so that is the freedom in, if we want to call it mediocrity, it's not really mediocrity, but settling for less, choosing less. Yeah. Choosing less. Yeah. The word settling, like the word burdens, I think has a sort of a negative connotation mm-hmm. in our society because it implies, yeah, mediocrity. I mean, mediocrity is not an appealing word. When I was growing up and I was like a super driven straight A student, like mediocrity was my biggest fear. And what I found that has been so wild and I had found out just by living it, not by, you know, anything in the media telling me is that sometimes a simpler, sometimes a less complicated life actually feels the best in my body. Like I was, uh, I was in, I go to Joshua Tree a lot. That is like my, my happy place. The desert is just like huge expanse of nothingness which leaves me like room to unpack Mm. what's already here because there's plenty and I remember one time I was driving there and I was like there's this mountain pass that you go that takes you like into the high desert and I was weaving through the mountains you know there are no signs there are no stores there are no people whatever and I was just thinking wow I feel so good right now and like what if this is all I need it was just I was like, oh, if this is the case, then like I could go anywhere on earth. You know, the, the reason why I originally wanted to move to New York when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with the idea of moving to New York was because of FOMO was because I wanted to be, I wanted to put myself in the way of every possible good thing I could have. And that turned out to be way too much that I actually thrive more when there are fewer options around me, when there are fewer sensory inputs around me. And I think that's when it comes into, you know, what you really value, because I think if you have a choice that what I value, for example, what I'm speaking on your behalf. So I'm Lisa and what I value is being an excellent actor. Okay. So I'm going to like not be a great housekeeper. <laughs> like maybe my house is just like, okay, like this is the most like exciting place to be, but what margin does that give you right in terms of investing your time and attention in different things and I think that's where you know there's power and freedom in choice in choosing because then you just have a confidence you're like I'm not missing out on anything because I actually chose this path and so if someone else has an opinion about x y or z choice well I I, I have no problem with that because it's just not something I value. I remember having this conversation with my brother, one of our other brothers, I have like a million brothers. One of my younger brothers had bought this house and it's like in the middle of, it's like a suburban, you know, a classic suburban house. And one of my other brothers was like, whoa, did you see that? Like, that's amazing. Like, that's like, he's really made it kind of thing. And I was like, that looks terrible. Because <laughs> the first thing I checked was I checked the walkability score of this place and we just value really different things. And that was a really big aha moment for this brother, brother of mine, because he was like, Oh, right. Like I don't need to want for that because they want for that. It's really knowing what you value and moving towards it. And I think that's where the freedom comes from. It's and, and also that just because, just because something is perfect and wonderful for another person, it might not be perfect and wonderful for you 
but that requires getting quiet and going inside of yourself. And that is something that is not valued by, you know, big tech or big corporations, because if you do that, you might discover that you're actually fine without buying a bunch of extra stuff. Something that I want to bring up that I think is really, really useful and is, in a, pra is a practice that I'm going to, which by the way, for those of you who are just joining now, I'm with Christina Crook on the day of the launch of her new book, Good Burdens. And it is filled, it's so great. Yes, I love the art. I love all the art in it. This is Sandra. So this artist, I just have to break on her for a moment. This artist, her name is Sandra Havera. The most, she's done, she's done like a, a version of the Little Prince. She's done a bunch of different books, but originally this tree just had this one person and she kindly added, which I thought felt was so important, right, is to show relationship in this. So I'm glad you enjoy it. It's, I, I'm so happy with it. Sorry, you were saying. It's, it's like, uh, along with having a lot of your personal anecdotes and amazing philosophies and research, you also have workbook elements of it, right? Like um, questions to check in and activities to do, which is amazing. And one of the exercises that you mentioned is to ask yourself these questions before you go to sleep, right? What was the most life-giving experience of my day? What was the most life-taking experience of my day? And to really be honest with yourself about that. Is that something that uh, is that something that I you mean, do? Yes. Yes, it is something I do. And it's actually something I've recently recommitted to doing. I just, it doesn't matter what it's on. You can just do it on a scrap of paper. I picked up a very slim journal that again has those two columns and it is just remarkable how powerful it is because we are not going to willingly choose the life-taking thing. We are not going to willingly choose the thing that takes life. We are going to continue to lean more and more towards the life-giving. And so by, by being attentive to that, the good burden of being attentive to those things that bring joy, we are going to start choosing subconsciously to do more of those things. And that's what I love about it is that no one needs another thing on their to-do list. None of us have margin. We are living in the age of no margin. And so what I love about this is, yes, I'm asking you to ask yourself two questions, which is going to take you about 30 seconds, but you are not having to willingly choose to do more of those things. Just by bringing them into your awareness, you're going to subconsciously begin to choose to do more of them. So if you notice that hopping on your bike to go to an appointment, you know, it might take you five extra minutes, but that's the thing that goes on your life giving right column that day, then you're probably going to remember that another day and be like, oh, that felt really good. I think I'm just going to hop on my really awesome powder blue bike, which is, is what I drive, which is what I, I ride because it feels really good. So I want to do more of that thing. And that's as, it's just as simple as that is the good burden of noticing and nurturing the things that bring us alive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's something, there's something almost risky about it, right? If we are people who live our lives on autopilot because we are, you know, checking off the boxes of the things that we're supposed to do that make us a quote unquote successful person in the eyes of society, you know, because at the end of the day, I often think like, oh, the things that were most life-giving for me cost nothing. Nobody saw me do them, you know, and took like no time or fanfare, you know, like, cuddling with my boyfriend on the couch, watching a stupid show is the most life-giving thing. Is it helping me get famous? No. Is it helping me get rich? No. But it's like the little things that add up, which now that I say it out loud, it sounds so cliche, but it is the truth. That's where the depth is. Absolutely. And I, I love that you're paying attention to that. And that is, that is the key. That is the key to living joyfully in the digital age is being attentive to those things literally attending to them, which is doing more of them. And I really do think that the only way that we're going to untangle our lives from being overextended and overcommitted and overindulgent on the internet is by connecting deeply to the real world and it being so good and desiring it so much that it is not difficult to put our phones down. I really don't think it is through having rigorous digital strategies like thou shalt not use your phone after 8 p.m. or whatever the case may be, right? Because we all have different personal and professional demands on our lives and the technology is constantly changing. So those rules don't actually, are, I believe, are not the way to finding balance or some kind of 
you know, a path to well-being in the digital age. I really do believe it is by deepening our commitments, circling back to the beginning of our conversation, circling is deepening our commitments to the people and projects that bring us alive, that bring us most joy. And that makes it very easy to you know, turn off whatever, you know, get off of the platforms to spend a bunch of time, might be on your computer, but you're working on a big project, right? That's important to you or getting off of the devices and spending time in a way that no one will ever hear about and ever know about, but is nourishing you and is bringing you alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we do that, and when we take the time to ground in ourselves and ground in our own aliveness, it, it magically frees up so much more energy and compassion that we have to share with other people. I mean, this, this, I, this idea of like, um, you know, oh no, there are so many things to do. It's, uh, it's like that, um, that Buddhist quote about the less, the less time or bandwidth you have to meditate, like the more you should do it. Right. Yes. I love that you're making that point about, and what I'm hearing you say is, is that what I'm thinking of as you speak is that good burdens are energy begetting. Like very practically, very practically, if you come to the end of, you know, a full day on Zoom and all you do is roll over and turn on a different device to watch Netflix, that is an exhausting way to live. But if you put in that little bit of effort, right, to do something that requires a bit of you, it is so fast how it is so quick how much that energy right like it's restorative like it's energy begetting good burdens are energy begetting things going outside and going for a walk around you know even just your block or going out and or even in your house like attending to a plant right that's a good burden it's it's requiring something of you but it gives you so much more back absolutely yeah and that's I mean so okay you know zany exists in the digital world right it is tied to the digital world and i think you know the reason why we are our team is so like values it so much is because we know that such a a small amount of time that gets put into that pays off like huge dividends you know in inside of us can i hear an example i mean yeah so actually Jemana and I went into digitally into the class of one of our dear friends, Katina Michael, who was a brilliant engineer, professor, writer. Um, and she had us come in and talk to her grad students about, about Zany. And um, we talked about, you know, the, how, how it helps all different kinds of brains, how it helps all different kinds of brains connect to each other. Somebody asked a question about, you know, what if you're an introvert, you know, and you don't want to participate. And I responded to him. I mean, I responded to him like speaking, but then we had an email conversation uh, that ensued where he revealed his vulnerabilities to me. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm scared to put myself out there, but like, I know that I have to. And I feel like there was so much reward in me connecting with him for both of us because I'm definitely an extrovert, right? And I fill up by, by speaking to other people, but in getting to share my experience of what it is to be alive and hear his experience of what it is to be alive and connect in that way, it made my world bigger in the way that traveling makes the world bigger. And, and the people that are on my team at Zany, we're all very different people, I would say. We have different habits, we have different behavior patterns, we have different speaking patterns. There are introverts, there are extroverts. But there's a, there's a love that has grown over the course of time that I've been there for you know, almost four years from sharing things, little personal quirks about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise know if we didn't put in the effort to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. Now I don't even remember. <laughs> My question was, yeah, you were talking about, well, just I'm curious. I, I, this is the Zany podcast, so thank you for indulging me. I just wanted to understand a little bit better how it works in terms of you know, sparking those kinds of conversations within teams. Yeah, so the idea is... Zany is a bot uh, and uh, once a week, um, it's a bot that works in Slack. And so once a week, Zany will drop a prompt, uh, some kind of a question ranging from, you know, lighter, easier things to more complex, you know, deeper things. And the idea is that slowly over time, people's relationships in their teams develop the way relationships in real life develop. It's not all at once. And it's not only icebreakers or games. 
it's like there will be, and the idea is reciprocity, right? So if you don't answer a question, then you won't be able to see other people's answers. Um, mm, okay, interesting. That's really yeah. smart. And it's, you know, there are questions that come from uh, psychology and philosophy and logic and all different all different kinds of places. And, and yes, there are weeks when, you know, you won't want to answer a question because it feels too personal or you feel like you don't have enough time. But the idea is, if you put in that extra effort to do it, even if it feels a little bit vulnerable, that the rewards of that pay off because you feel more seen at work and more understood and you feel and see and understand the, the people that you work with. So that there is an essence of connection underpinning the work that you do. It's not just mm. being, you know, it's not just showing up to fill in a spreadsheet. Like there are human yeah. beings behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, oh my gosh. We're already almost at an hour. I can't believe this. I really, I want to talk to you for seven more hours. And um, <laughs> I like to end every podcast with uh, asking my guest a question from the Zany database. So this is an example of one of the questions that you might get if you mm. have Zany installed. Cool. So for you, Christina, I wanted to ask you, what is a non-traditional place that you find sacred? Hmm. My favorite place on earth, which is Bowen Island. So just staring at the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean and being surrounded by a canopy of evergreen trees. That's a, that's a sacred space for me. I can, I can smell it. I can smell it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Christina Crook, I am obsessed with your book. I think that you're wonderful. I have so many other things to talk to you about. Will you tell the listeners and the viewers here where they can find you and where they can get this book? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, you can find me at christinacrook.com um, and all of my programs and my books and, and podcasts and everything there. Uh, Good Burdens is available wherever you get fine books. And I do encourage you to get it from a local bookseller. Take up that good burden of phoning your local bookstore, ask them to order it in for you if they don't have it already and enjoy it that way. And there is a, also, I, I've been wanting to tell people that there is a discussion guide on my website at christinacrook.com forward slash good So if you want to do it with your book club, that's a resource for you there as well. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this with me. And for all the listeners, find out more about Zany at zany.app. That's Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Find out how you can build trust and relationships in your work, remote workspace. And Christina, thank you so much. Thank you, Lissa. This has been wonderful. Thanks for tuning in to episode 35 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn more about Christina's work and to purchase a copy of Good Burdens for yourself, visit christinacrook.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.